this is going to be a, a message on encouragement. Uh, specifically, we are going to be looking in 1 John for that encouragement. Uh, there is a note sheet in your worship folder. If you have one of those, please, I encourage you to uh, pull that out. Uh, take some notes, uh, but also it's got our scripture that we're going to be reading through today. Uh, I do want to summarize where we've kind of been in 1 John, though, because uh, I am continuing that series. Um, so far in uh, John's letter, we've seen who, who is God. We've answered that question of, of who is God. Um, he is a God of love. He's a God of light. Uh, we've uh, also answered the question of what it means to walk with him. And if you want to go into, you know, hey, what did those sermons say? They are online. Great resource. Philida.org. And then uh, just, what is it, worship and then scroll down to where the messages are. They're right there. You can listen to those. So we've talked about who God is, what it means to walk with him, and how our actions reveal what our view of God is. <clears throat> and that takes us right up to today's passage, which is uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And it's, it's a weird passage, I'll just be honest. So in reading commentaries on this one, because there are some very smart men and women who have done reading and study, and I want to, um, I want to benefit from that. I want us to benefit from that as well. So I, I looked into these, and it seems that there are certain questions that have arisen during the ages about this particular passage. Certain questions like, why in the Greek does John start in one verb tense on, on the first half of this section, and then end in another verb tense. It's, it's very weird. Um, also, uh, why, why is he breaking all of a sudden into what seems like poetic verse after laying down some pretty heavy, heavy theology? It's almost like he's bursting into song at this point. It's very weird. And, um, yeah, the, la the last piece in there, why the different age groups are mentioned. Like that seems you're only focusing on, on certain people or individuals or groups of people, I should say. And the short answer is this. From all the centuries of study on this, and I mean centuries, <clears throat> there is not a 100% a view of this is why he did that. There is, we don't know why he broke into that poetic uh, verse. But there, there is a, a strong indication of, of why John may have written to the specific groups that he did. And it's consistent with this letter that we're in right now. And before we read the passage, I want us to define, okay, what does he mean when he's talking about these different age groups? So the first group there uh, that we're, we're, as we're going through, we see children. And this one's consistent with John because throughout this letter and throughout the other two letters that we're going to go through, he refers to the church as a whole as little children or my dear ones or something of that nature. Because when John wrote these, he was an old man. So my guess is that he saw everybody as kids. But not only that, he's seeing himself in this role as a father figure to these, um, to these believers. So that's what we can think of when we hear him saying uh, little children. That's what we can think of. He's talking to the church as a whole. Then he brings up this group, fathers. 
Um, with this one, I would think he is referring more to um, those who are, are mature in the faith. They're seasoned in walking with Jesus. They've gone the long path. They've had a lot of different experiences. So those, those who are most mature in their faith. <clears throat> and then we hear young men. And, and these are those who have experienced some of this journey of walking with Jesus uh, but they're not as far as the fathers, but they're, they're closer than just a, a recent convert. So th- those are the ears I want us to, to listen to these verses with as we go through them. So starting at verse 12, John says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his, that is Christ's, name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So if you, if you read through up to this point, you're just getting a lot of, um, of dialogue from John about, like I said, who God is, our response to him, claims that we make. And then this portion comes, and it's as though he's taking all of that that he said and wrapping it and reminding us of some things that we will have known uh, already, but we want to um, we want to see this and not just break. Okay, so only you know, like only the, the little children here. You know, they're the only ones whose sins are forgiven. No, no. What applies here to one group applies to the rest because he is speaking to the church as a whole. So it's not just the one group um, that things are true for, but it's the other two as well. And uh, that's one reason um, they. Commentators believe this is a poetic verse that uh, John went into. He is writing to the church, and the thoughts he brings are um, something that apply universally. So we've read that, and we want to look back on 2019. So what are we seeing here? What's this encouragement that we're going to be getting today? What do these few verses have to say in context? So John is writing to us so we can remember and are encouraged. Uh, John is writing, so we remember and are encouraged by what God has done for us in and through Christ. John is writing, so we remember and are encouraged by what God has done for for us in and through Christ. Uh, I am prone to be discouraged. But these verses give me at least three bits of encouragement. And uh, the three pieces of encouragement that John is giving us here uh, really do, um, they lift you up. I I don't, they they lift me up. So I would assume that they lift you up as well. And I'm going to put all three of them up on the, um, the board at once here. Go ahead, Rich. Uh, just so that it's not a big surprise to you. 
<clears throat> like that, that you are forgiven. That's the one, that's John's encouragement. You are forgiven. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Two, that you know Christ. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, I, I know who uh, a person is. Like, I know who the president is, I, but I don't know Donald Trump the way I know, say, my wife or my friend Scott or, or anybody else. Um, but you know Christ. There is a, um, there's a relationship there that you have with him. And third, that you, the evil one has been overcome in, in Christ. So the enemy is, is defeated. And, and we look at these, and if, again, if you are like me, uh, you can sit and go, man, those are good. Dan, why didn't you just preach off those three points? You could have elaborated on what it means that we are forgiven. Um, what does that forgiveness look like? You, can, you could have elaborated on how do I get to know Christ uh, better you could, have, you could have rallied us at the end with the fact that the evil one has been overcome. But that's the encouragement that I want us to see. This is the encouragement. And as it sits with you, um, I don't know how you feel when someone gives you encouragement. Um, but typically if I'm down and someone comes with that, my first thoughts uh, for them giving me that are... Um, are skeptical, like why are you saying this to me? Are you just are you are you you don't want to see me hurt, so you're trying to encourage me, so you feel better, or and I, I don't want to. I apologize for that when I do that to people because I know that's not their intentions always, just to make themselves feel better. Sometimes they really just want to encourage a friend. Um, so I've got this uh, these next questions, which you don't really see too often in church, but I think some of us really do ask. Uh, Rich, go ahead and go to the next slide here. So what? So what? Who cares? Uh, those are questions that go, I'll be just honest. Those are questions when someone comes to encourage me. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's great. So I'm forgiven. So I know Christ. And so I've overcome, you know, the over, uh, evil one has been overcome. But who cares? What does it matter to me right now? I'm, I'm hurting. I'm in pain or it's just heavy, I'll get through it eventually. So those, those questions are, are what I'm going to hope to answer. Um, as far as the, the so what and who cares here, uh, each of these encouragements actually combat a lie that uh, we may believe regarding our identity in Christ. So if, if we have put our trust in what Jesus has done. These encouragements are, are meant to be uh, a dagger, a knife, a sword, some type of weaponry with which to fight the enemy when he comes at us with his lies. <clears throat> and those lies, and we're going to go through them one by one, but I want you to hear what the lies are, and I want you to think, oh, maybe is that one that I do, or, or, you know, or believe, or, or thinking? Uh, a lie like, your sin is going to come back to haunt you because God never forgets anything. Or you cannot know God, and even if you could know God, it's not like he'd want to know you anyway. Or that the enemy is just too powerful, and there's nothing Jesus or I could do to defeat him. He's just too powerful. Those are some of the lies that uh, 
we, we can be prone to believe. So let's jump into it. Lie number one here. Your sin will come back to haunt you because God remembers everything. Kind of has a ring of truth to it. God's all-knowing. I highly doubt that God just forgets stuff that happens like, oh, left the coffee in the, uh, you know, left the coffee on or whatnot, and I got to unplug that or something like that way. But, um, yeah, it's a fairly believable lie because God is all-knowing. Uh, the truth just opposite there is his justice and mercy has removed your sin. That is truth. So being candid uh, for a moment here, um, this, this is one that, that I find myself prone to, and it is because, um, well, I just, maybe you find yourself being this way too, you have a sensitive spirit, like you've committed sins in the past and you're ashamed of those sins. Or, I, I'm kind of like that, but I'm more on this side where you find that those things that you've done in the past, they get thrown in your face sometimes. People bring them up. Situations bring them up. Your own mind brings them up. Just as you're sitting there, you're just enjoying your day. Da, da, da. Hey, remember that time you blew it back in, uh, you know, 1997? What? Or early 2000s for those who weren't born in the 90s. <clears throat> but it just, they, they repeat in your head on, on how you've blown it. And for me, one of those things is my anger. And I'm just, I constantly remind myself, I don't want to say God reminds me of my anger in the sense that I'm talking here, because this is me telling myself I've blown it so many times. I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about the type of, you know, when you're driving down the road happily, and then you get stuck behind a slow person, and you get agitated a lot, and then you pass them, and then they're riding your butt, and then they pass you, so you ride their butt. I'm not necessarily talking about that, although that it can be included in there. But it can range from that, I mean, all the way to the mundane as, as a, a toothpaste cap. I have been known to get angry over a toothpaste cap, and that's sin. Um, because I'm talking, I get angry. Like, when I'm in the car, I get angry. I say things, my behavior changes, my family becomes scared at my behavior. We, we laugh because it's slightly uncomfortable, but I think we've all been in a car, maybe us as the driver, where that's happened. I, I get ashamed of that. And it's a little embarrassing talking about, yeah, I get road rage, bad. Or I get upset over a toothpaste cap. That's not bad, I mean, that, that is bad, pardon me. That's not good. I get angry to the point of, I think, malicious thoughts of my wife. This is one I wrestle with. I have walked out on a job because of my anger. I'm sure it was over something really stupid. But the point is, is that I, I did something that was, was wrong. You just don't leave employment, jeopardize your financial stability, because something in that moment didn't seem to go your way. But these are things that, as I'm just going through life, I remember that time you walked out on the job at such and such and they won't hire you back because of it. Yeah, if you get a promotion at your new job, they're not gonna, they're gonna know about that and then they're not gonna wanna promote you because they think they're gonna, you're gonna walk out if you're unhappy. That's what I'm talking about with this lie. 
that your sins will come back to haunt you because God remembers everything. Because what other people do, throwing it in your face, that's what God's going to do to you. If he finds, you know, it's going to get to a point, man, that, that Jesus is keeping a tally. It's like, all right, Dan's gotten mad for the thousandth, umpteenth time. And there it is. All right, Dan, you're out. <clears throat> you know, we've had it. We've given you your 3,000th chance, and you haven't made it, so uh, you're gone. Maybe, maybe anger isn't the sin that, that haunts you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a sexual sin. Maybe it's gossiping. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe it's lying. I don't know, but you know what that sin is that just keeps popping up, that you're like, man, I know, I know I've been forgiven, but it's going to come back. God, it's going to come back. And it can take you to a low spot where you feel like God's just waiting for you to do it one more time, and it, there goes your salvation. You are no longer saved. That is a lie. God will not throw it back in your face. That is not who God is. It is a lie from the pit of hell that your sin will come back to bite you because God remembers everything he's going to make you pay for it. No. The truth is on there. God's justice and his mercy have removed your sin. If you have placed your trust in Christ and his work on the cross, your sin has been forgiven, it has been removed from you, and God is not holding it against you on that. He is not waiting for you to screw up so that he can kick you out of the, uh, out of the group or anything that way. And I don't want you to take my word for it. John, in this letter, has said some things already that lead us to believe this. John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A couple verses later, John 2, 1. My little children, again, writing to the church, there's that phrase, right? I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Christ is advocating for us. He has taken that sin from us. And then the one that, uh, that always gets me is like, well, God's clearly God just doesn't forget it. But we have some verses here to help us through that. In Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him, who fear God. As far as the east is, east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And that is poetic language. Let's not get lost in that, but that's how far it's removed. As, as we look at the sin that has held us down. Christ has forgiven that. We are no longer held down by that. There's a, another really meaty passage that I wanted to uh, put on here, um, but I didn't because it would take a... Um, I'd want to chew on it more than we have time for. Uh, so uh, I forgot to put it on the slides, but you can write this one down. It's uh, Romans chapter 3, Verses 22 through 26. This can be your extra credit if you want. 
uh, no one's going to keep score. But this is, if you're looking, man, I want something to chew on over the next while, that passage, Romans 3, 20 through 2 through 26. That's something to chew on and think on <clears throat> as it relates to our sins being forgiven and what Christ has done. So, First uh, John 2, 1 reminds us that when we sin, we have an advocate. Remind, uh, the remembrance we have in, in Psalm 103 that we, we are removed from that sin, that God has removed that from us. That is a good reminder. Know that you are forgiven. That is an encouragement, that God's justice and his mercy have removed your sin there. So lie number two. You cannot know God, and even if he were able to be known, it's not like he'd want to know you anyway. This one, I think, gets at the heart of, um, of an identity crisis here. Because I want to be known. I want people to like me. Um, I want people to enjoy spending time around me. I think we're all in that kind of boat. I like to think that I'm a worthwhile person. Um, and then I hear this lie. That God is unknowable. And even if you were knowable, it's not like you'd want to know me anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. God wouldn't want to know me. I mean, who am I? I'm a guy that, that lives in Washington State. I, I've lived in this area. I've lived in Clark County my whole life. I haven't really traveled anywhere. I, I've, I've had a few jobs. Nothing really interesting. <clears throat> I, haven't any, I haven't built anything with my hands that's of any consequence. No great architecture. And, and, I, and I start to believe this, that I'm not worth knowing. Right? That... Uh, there might be some interesting things, little caricature uh, bits that are that are fun. Um, but enough about me. What, what have we heard about? What have we heard about God? So I grew up in the church, and I know that's uh, different from some in this room. Uh, but in the church, you, you learn things as you as you're raised through Sunday school. Uh, you learn things about God. Um, we already talked about Him being all knowing a little bit. Uh, God is all powerful. He can do anything he wants. He, can, he created the universe. He's huge. He's enormous that way. Um, he's everywhere. He's uh, omnipresent, as it were, right? Um, so he, he's everywhere. He created everything. He's all-knowing. He's this vast, just un... Uh, just, it's huge. It, it seems unknowable to look, to hear about that. Um, there's a song that we have our kids sing, that I sang, that I enjoy singing because it's truth. Uh, my God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. <laughs> For those who sang the song, you get it. You have to clap there. It's, it's, otherwise, you lose. Um, and then, yeah, um, then I, I learned that, that I'm a sinner, so... I mean, God doesn't hang around with sinners. That's pretty clear in the Bible in terms of Adam and Eve sinned. And what happened? God's not walking in the garden with them anymore. There's that piece. 
Maybe that lie uh, plays differently uh, in your life, that God is unknowable, uh, ways that it can, it can manifest itself without you even knowing. Okay, I may not outright believe that God is, is unknowable, but my actions might tell me differently. How, how would I want to get to know God? I want to read his word. If God's unknowable, what's the point? Why would I read the Bible? Why would I, why would I learn anything out of it? Why would I invest time in that? I can't understand the Bible anyway. The language is too complex. Again, these are all lies. Just throwing that out there. Pick your flavor of the lie, but it, at its base, that's what it is, that, that God is unknowable and that you, you can't get to know him. But here's the fun part. The truth that's been up there, you may have written down already, is that God has taken the initiative and made himself known plainly to us. You can know God. You can know God. That is a truth. That is scripture. We see that in the word of God, that he is knowable. So when I first uh, introduced this series, of, oh man, a while back, I said that this, you know, John likes to fold ideas the way that someone kneads dough, right? These are one of these ideas that pops up later in the book, but it's kind of here already. So I'm going to highlight some things that uh, will be preached on later, but it is good to hear now. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, and also verse 19. <clears throat> in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. We love because he first loved us. So in this relationship side of things, God knows where we are. God knows who we are. And he stepped down. He came to us. He made the initiative to get to know us. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Sit on that for a minute. What kind of love is that, that we should be called children of God? Of God, And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then another thing showing the, um, the initiative of God. <clears throat> First John uh, 4 talked about it, but here, same apostle, different bit. This is from his gospel. John 1, 14 through 18. And the word speaking of the second person of the Trinity, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, made his uh, dwelling place among us. He tabernacled, he pitched his tent, built his house, he lived with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as uh, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this, is, uh, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, 
Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Here's the verse. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's the word that was just made flesh, has made him known. We have just gone through and are still in a season of celebrating the birth of Christ. That is what this is talking about. That is the word made flesh. Jesus came into the world so that we would know God. God has taken that initiative. He has made himself plainly known to us through the person of Jesus Christ, through the, uh, the stories that we have of him working, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament. We know who God's character is, uh, who, who God is. We know what his character is as well. So what implications do these actually have in knowing God in my life? Because I can know him, I want to know him more and more and more. Think about when, when, you're, uh, when you're falling in love, right? And you're smitten with a person. You want to know everything about them. Good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. You got these rose-colored glasses on, but you just want to know more. That, I'm not saying look at God with rose-colored glasses. What I'm saying is that hunger, that desire to know is there. We want to have that love for God to see so that we can love him more deeply, so that we can uh, serve him better, so that we can, uh, you just want to be with the person. You want to be with Christ. You want to be with his people. That's an implication there. You can know God because he has taken the initiative and he has made himself plainly known to us. Last lie. The enemy is too powerful and Jesus nor I have the strength to defeat him. The enemy is too powerful And Jesus nor I have the strength to defeat him. This lie, coupled with the first lie, can cripple you. If you already believe that your sin's going to come back to haunt you, and it'll bite you in the butt, that means the enemy is too strong. He's got all that ammo. And, uh, and I don't know, it's just going to be, it's, it'll be just too hard. We can't defeat him. I certainly can't. The mark of a good lie is that there's a ring of truth to it. You believe it because it sounds true. No one's going to pass off a $3 bill because $3 bills don't exist. You wouldn't accept a $17 bill. Same concept. They're just not in there. But uh, you give me a 20 with a slight variation on it, I might not see it. Maybe I'm not looking for the guy on the front, and instead of having, you know, Jackson, it's got Hamilton. Who knows? But there's a ring of truth to it. And in this one, there is that ring of truth. I can't defeat the enemy. He is a powerful enemy. Don't, make, don't fall in the lie that, uh, 
Satan is, is not a powerful being. He is. Angelic beings are strong. They are totally different from us, right? And I'm not going to get it off on all that bit. But in and of ourselves, we can get beat down. <clears throat> or uh, sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. And then you get verses like uh, Romans 7, 15 through 19 coming through. Uh, switching gears, this is the Apostle Paul talking uh, to the Romans of all people. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not what I uh, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate, this I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who did it, but sin that dwells in me. But I'm still doing the action. Right? That's the Dan Abbott's ad. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Ooh, there it is. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Oh, I want to do the, the right thing. I want to do good so bad, but it's there. It fights and it loses and I do the thing I, I don't want to do. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anybody else find themselves, you want to do the right thing. You want to do what God wants you to do. But it just, you just feel like you can't. You try hard and you lose every time. Maybe you succeed for a bit, but then it's just there again. You're doing what you're not wanting to do. And what Paul says resonates with me. John also has something to say on this in, uh, in his letter that we're going through here. 1 John 3.8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Thanks, John. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Sure has. He's been going against God's rule. And John just doesn't pull punches. I mean, Paul's at least going, yeah, Paul, I get what you're saying. John's just like, Nah, if you make a practice of sinning, and if you, you're sinning, you're of the devil. And you just, it hurts. It's a gut punch. And we see how strong that lie is. That the enemy, you just can't overcome him. And anyway, my sin from the past, that's going to bite me in the rear. Ah, but this, this is where the truth comes in. Because the truth then dispels that lie. I said every lie has a ring of truth in it. The ring of truth in this one is that I don't have it in me to defeat the enemy. That is true. I don't. The part of the lie that is untrue is that Jesus cannot defeat the enemy. That is a lie. That is a lie. Jesus is more than enough to be able to defeat the enemy. Jesus is more than enough to defeat the enemy. Yeah, and that's good. That is good. He is more powerful than the enemy. I told you John doesn't pull punches. And uh, this, here's the rest of this verse. This is why you should read things in context, because then it comes to light. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, and he has done that. Uh, go to the next one. Four, four. Little children talking to the church again. You are from God and have overcome them. It's talking about, um, uh, in that specific context, he's talking about those who are against Christ, the enemy. You have overcome those enemies. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Again, John's encouragement are to those who have accepted Christ's work, who are, are putting their hope and trust in what Christ has done for them. So in this, he then gives us this further encouragement, saying that, hey, if Christ is in you, he has defeated the world, and what is in you is greater than what's in the world. There is that. Going to something that uh, Paul says in the, uh, his letter to the Colossians, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, who is Christ, having forgiven all, all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, and this is talking of the enemies, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. There are many other verses we can go to that I could show you. Read the back end of the Gospels there of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about what Jesus did after he died. I love celebrating Christmas. I love Easter better because it is when Christ conquers my enemies. My enemies of sin, my enemies of death. Jesus Christ is more than enough. More than enough to beat the enemy. We are too weak in and of ourselves. But we are not by ourselves. We are with Christ. He fights along with us. He has overcome both sin and death, as I said. And it is a glorious thing that he has. I'm sure I have time for this one here. So I don't know how many of you guys are a fan of classic literature. Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. Um, if you don't like allegory, you're probably not going to like it, but this is the way my mind works. I need things laid out simply. So when you get a guy like <clears throat> Mr. Worldly Wisdom, I wonder what that guy's about. <laughs> Worldly Wisdom. Main character's name is Christian. Huh, wonder what his viewpoint is. <laughs> so in this story, you have Christian who has a terrible burden on his back and he wants to get rid of it. He's been reading the King's Book, as it were, and he, he's convicted of it. So he, go, he starts this pilgrimage. And he makes some pretty poor choices along the way. And he's now, uh, he's left this, um, oh, what is it? He's left a house where he has received a suit of armor and encouragement and been rested. And they, they told him, hey, to get, you know, the King's Highway goes through this valley of, uh, what did I, it's the Valley of the Shadow of Death. But they call it something else in here. I think it's the Valley of Humiliation. But it's a dark place, and there's not much light. And we see Christian walking along. And uh, he runs into this guy named Apollyon, who is the enemy. 
Uh, I just want to pick up here. <clears throat> Apollyon is standing in the way. Like there's one road, there's, you can't go to the left, you can't go to the right. <clears throat> there's one road, and this guy is standing in the way. And they get into this conversation about, you need to move because I'm on the king's highway. And Apollyon's saying, ha, 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 no, this is my road. I'm going to kill you. And he taught Christians just telling him these, these truths of who the king is and the authority that he has. And how faithful he's been to this king. And this is, uh, we pick it up here. Uh, Apollyon uh, is there and he says, you've already been unfaithful in your service to him, accused Apollyon. And how do you expect to receive wages from him? And Christian replies, oh, and how, oh Apollyon, have I been unfaithful to him? Apollyon quickly answered, see if you can find the lie. You fainted at the beginning of your journey when you almost got choked in the gulf of despondence. You attempted to rid yourself of a burden in the wrong way, and you should have waited until your prince had taken it off. You sinfully slept and lost your valuable things. Also, you were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of some lions. And when you talk about your journey and what you've heard and seen, you are inwardly boastful in everything you say and do. All this is true, admitted Christian, and much more. And much more that you left out. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. These infirmities controlled me in your country, for I sucked them in, and I groaned under them and have been sorry for them, but I have obtained pardon from them from my prince. Then Apollyon broke into an, a, tr a tremendous rage, saying, I am the enemy of this prince. I hate his person, his laws, and his people. I have come here to oppose you. I'm going to skip a bit of uh, the fight they have because they break out into fight. Apollyon is winning. And then, seeing his opportunity, Apollyon began to draw close to Christian, and wrestling with him gave him a dreadful fall. With that, Christian's sword flew from his hand. Then Apollyon exclaimed, I have beaten you. With that, he almost crushed him to death, and Christian began to despair for his life. I find myself there sometimes, crushed by the enemy. But, as God would have it, while Apollyon was preparing for his last blow, which he would use to bring an end to this good man, Christian skillfully reached his hand for his sword and grasped it, saying, and this is a quote from um, uh, Micah, sorry, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Then Christian gave him a deadly thrust, which made Apollyon back away as if he had received a mortal wound. Recognizing it, Christian attacked him again, saying, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's in Romans. With that, Apollyon spread his wings and quickly sped away so that Christian saw him no more. That is fantasy, folks. But the scriptures that he spoke are true. Those are the daggers. Those are the knives. That is the word of God in action against our enemies. This is what I, I'm, I'm hoping to equip us with, are some weapons, so that when we hear that lie, either from the enemy or from ourselves, that your sin's going to bite you in the rear, that you can't really know God, and that the enemy is strong. <clears throat> that we will combat it with. Christ is more powerful than the enemy. God has taken the initiative so that we may know him and that our sins are forgiven by a just and merciful God. So my challenge 
for those of you who find yourself in Christian's camp, on the road, on your pilgrimage to see God. (coughs) My challenge is this. Which lies are you most prone to? Maybe it's some of the ones that I put up here. Maybe it's some other lie. What lie are you most prone to? And what truth do you need to remember to fight those lies? That's a typo. Fight those lies. So think about that. On that back there, look at that chart. Review those lies. Review those truths more. Highlight which truth you need to know. I know some of us in this room, uh, some in this room may not be in that camp. Maybe we're still believing the lies that we can't know God, that my sin is too great. I hope you heard differently today. And my challenge to you is to consider what you have heard. To know that Christ is more than enough, that God loves you. The way I worded that, that second lie, and why would he want to know you? He wants to know you because he made you. I listed off those things. Oh, I don't seem like a very worthwhile guy. God thinks I'm pretty worthwhile. Uh, not because of who I am, but because of who he created me to be. He loves me as a son. He can love you as a son or daughter. Trust in what Christ has done for you. His death, his resurrection, his conquering of sin and death. Seek out the God of the Bible if that's where you find yourself. Ask those questions. If you came with a friend, ask them. If you need someone to talk to, you can talk to me if you want. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You are good at all times. Father, I thank you for forgiving us through Christ and the work that he did. I thank you that our sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Father, I thank you that you are knowable, that you have taken those steps so that we can know you deeply so that we can know you better. You are not a God who is distant, but you are a God who is close. Father God, I thank you that you have defeated the evil one through Christ, that we do not need to live in fear of him or of uh, what he can do to us because you ultimately, Father, have done the work on our behalf and are inviting us to share in your victory. Father, help us fight in light of that, not that we just sit back and and let it happen because you'll forgive us, but that you will honestly um, and purposefully equip us to use these daggers, uh, these truths that we have heard today, to fight the enemy when he rears his ugly head. Father God, I thank you for this community of believers that you use this body to 
to remember those truths, to speak truth to each other when we are feeling low, when we are feeling discouraged, when we don't feel close to you, that you use others to bring us back to you. Father, you are good. You are good all the time. And so I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.